We've all been raised on television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars. But we won't. We're slowly learning that fact. And we're very, very pissed off. Hello, everyone. It's been a while. It's been a while. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, so um, I will tell you what I've been up to uh, just to set the scene for you. It is a rainy February 3rd in 2019. Uh, it has been raining pretty much the entire month of January. I mean, we've had some bright spots here and there, you know, where the sun comes out. But uh, for the most part, it's just been raining. But hey, look. You know, uh, we're, we're, when we're talking about winter here, you know, this is winter in the Bay Area where it's, you know, I don't know, 50 degrees at the coldest. Um, you know, it's been, they have a, been a couple of days with frost on the ground, but then you see the rest of the country in their polar vortex, you know, in the negatives. And you're like, oh, right. This is why my house is a million dollars, more than a million dollars. And all the houses in the neighborhood are more than a million dollars. Because everybody wants to live here, because the weather's awesome. So, uh, before we get into what I've been up to, uh, today's musical guest is uh, David Lee Roth's album from 1988, Skyscraper. This album is pretty incredible. Um, it's, uh, it is... Four years, or no, it's two years after he gets kicked out of Van Halen. And so, uh, 5150, the first David Lee Roth album, comes out in 1986. I'm sorry, the first uh, Sammy Hagar Dave, uh, Van Halen comes out in 1986. This album comes out in 88. And it's very interesting because it's in a lot of ways like his version of Van Halen. Because the band... It, it's like if Van Halen had a really amazing bass player, is really what it is. Because the band is Greg Bissonette on drums, who you probably don't know. Uh, Billy Sheehan, who wound up in Mr. Big, uh, so you might remember him from that. And, uh, of course, the legendary Steve Vai, who, you know, was he, he continues to be one of these amazing guitar legends. You know, easily on the same level as Eddie Van Halen, even though I would say, I mean, and I mean purely from a technical standpoint, but from a music writing standpoint, I would say Eddie is far superior because the stuff that Eddie does is memorable. You can hum it. You know, it sticks in your head. Steve Vai is just usually just a lot of notes. There is a song on this, though, that kind of contradicts that, and uh, I'll point that out when we get there. It's kind of a slow ballad, uh, very different. But, you know, these guys, here. here. You know, and I, that guitar solo, right? Like, I've heard that guitar, I've heard this whole album, like, 50 times. I couldn't sing you that guitar solo, so... Uh, not not a slight on Mr. Vi. He's clearly one of the most amazing players ever. And I did not realize he is a major songwriter on this album. So I guess before I shit on him too hard, um, maybe I maybe I should consider that as well. But um, so anyway, so I feel a little weird about having this be the music because. You know, David Lee Roth, we all know who he is. He doesn't need any help getting known. Uh, and I always try to feature people on this podcast who you may not have heard of. And so to talk about this guy who we clearly all know very well, 
uh, seems a little odd, but I was thinking about this album and how, you know, we have gotten to a point in time where, like, stuff is now dropping off of people's radars. So, you know, I'm working with a bunch of 20-year-olds and I make references to things and they have no idea what I'm talking about and I'm just like, oh man, that's such a shame because that thing is amazing and they should know about it. And so this is one of those things. And I was just, and of course, I had no other ideas for who I was going to be talking about uh, or what we were going to have for music this week. So... Um, I just picked it. All right, so what have I been up to? Um, so uh, the, the, the big reason why I haven't done a podcast episode in a while is mostly because I got the flu. And um, let's just be clear about what the flu actually is. The flu is uh, body aches. Uh, head cold, uh, probably some sort of respiratory problem. It's the it it, it is, a, it is that like. But I was amazed how many times I said to people, "Yo, yeah, I got the flu over the holidays." They were like, "Were you throwing up?" No, people, that's the stomach flu, right? That's all the things the flu is, and you're barfing, right? And possibly diarrhea. Now let me kick the mic, Sam, some more, uh, and. That's not what the flu is. So, yeah, but it, boy, it kicked my ass hard. Like, it got to the point where it filled up my ears with fluid to the point where I could not really hear very well out of at least one ear. And I think I'm still struggling with the after effects of that. Um, I mean, I would love to say this is the reason why I'm talking so loud, but I kind of talk so loud all the time anyway, so there's that. Uh, so, well, that's nothing new. He's just, no, no, it's not the flu. It's just, that's just him. Uh, but the other thing is, uh, so of course, now that it's February, that means we've just completed another SF Sketch Fest. And, um, uh, a, a great time. Um, we, we went and saw Askat, and we saw... Um, a, a very problematic uh, show, problematically named, I should say, but very, very good, called The Black Version, where it's a all-African-American cast of improvisers, and um, they do a version of a famous movie, but with an African-American twist. So uh, let's let's actually get back into ASCAT for just a second. Uh, so uh, if you've forgotten what ASCAT is, goodness knows I talk about it every year. So what ASCAT is is that it's uh, a bunch of improvisers and a guest monologist. So in the past it's been Sally Field or David Wayne or whoever. Uh, so this year was Bobcat Goldthwait. Bobcat, of course, you remember from doing stand-up and uh, being in all of those Police Academy movies. Uh, But he, at some point, I can't remember how he did it, he transitioned into directing. And, uh, oh, so anyway, so the way Ask Cat goes is uh, they get a recommendation from a word from the audience, and uh, the monologist thinks of a story from their lives based on the word. So the word, I think, was revenge or vengeance or something like that. 
And so uh, Bobcat told this story about working with Super Dave Osborne. Super Dave Osborne is, uh, was, he recently just passed away. He was Albert Brooks's brother. And uh, if you looked at him, you would say that's impossible. They look absolutely nothing alike. Uh, and their, even their senses of humor was nothing alike. Um, but Super Dave, his whole, his, his shtick originally was he was a stuntman and then he would always get beat up and they, it was so lame because they would have this ridiculous crash test dummy that they would, you know, do a hard cut and then the crash test dummy would, you know, fall out of a building or something. But he got this name, Super Dave Osborne, because he was a, a daredevil originally, quote unquote. And, um... And anyway, so apparently Dave, uh, whose real name is Bob Einstein, which means Albert Brooks's real name is Albert Einstein. Yeah, no wonder why he changed it. Uh, yeah, you can't go into any, any business with the name Albert Einstein. Like, I don't care if you're a car mechanic. You can't be like, yeah, hey, um, uh, we found uh, what the uh, issue is uh, your radiator... Uh, the lead, the little events are starting to flake off. Huh. Thanks, Einstein. Uh, no, you can't. So it doesn't matter whether you're in show business or anything. You just can't be Albert Einstein. So Super Dave, uh, who we will now refer to as Bob Einstein, um, because I just can't say Super Dave. Anyway, so Bob Einstein um, apparently had kind of a big personality and had a bit of an ego on him and Bobcat knew that and Bobcat liked to fuck with him so Bobcat as the guest monologist tells this story of um, he knows Einstein is coming on the show to do a guest spot oh so this is when Bobcat was directing the Jimmy Kimmel show and uh, so Einstein was coming on to do a bit uh, Bobcat said, um, who, he says to his crew, who was the guest on last night's show? And the crew says it was Andy Dick. He was like, great. Here's what I want you to do. Take a piece of the show's budget for tonight. Go get a big screen. Oh, wait. All right, so there's there's that. Uh, the, you go rewind that and listen to that again. That is the Billy Sheehan bass solo, and this is um, the this is how and why this band is so much crazier than Van Halen uh, is because Billy Sheehan is an amazing bass player and he can do crap like that. The stuff that like Michael Anthony, love the guy, holds down the solid bass section, but you know the rhythm section, but could not do that on his best day. Uh, and which is, I think, why uh, uh, Eddie Van Halen kept him around as long as he did, because he doesn't want a guy like Billy Sheehan. He wants a guy who's just like Panama, bum 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 bum, Panama, bum 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 bum. But then, at some point, Michael Anthony wound up pissing off Eddie Van Halen, and he gets kicked out of the band. Uh, so nothing lasts forever. Anyway. Uh, so, uh, Bobcat says, take a piece of the, of the show's budget tonight, go and buy a large screen TV, 
gift wrap it, and then tear away a little bit of the gift wrapping so we can see it's a big screen TV and put a note on it that says, um, Dear Andy, you're always a great guest. Thank you so much for making a great show. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel. Very, very important signed Jimmy Kimmel. And then before Bob Einstein shows up, put it in Bob Einstein's dressing room. So then Bob Einstein gets there. He sees the note. He sees that, you know, Jimmy Kimmel thinks Andy Dick is this amazing guest. And the dude loses his shit. So then he starts storming around. Bob Einstein starts storming around, asking all the crew, what, what did Andy do? What did Andy do that was, made him such a great guest? What, what, what's going on with that? Wait, why is he so great? So then Bobcat, of course, gets wind that Einstein's pissed. So then he says, so Bobcat then says, oh, here's what you do. Tell Einstein that there was a mix-up and that he needs to move dressing rooms. But before you do that, take this Jimmy Kimmel hat, gift wrap it, put it in the new dressing room, and on the note write, Dear guest, thanks, Jimmy Kimmel. And how glorious is it that, I mean, it, that, what a great, simple way of just screwing with somebody and just getting them at their own foible. I mean, it's, it's really it's his insane ego that made that work, right? Like, if I... You know, if I went in there and I was like, oh, wow, it gave Andy Dick a TV. Oh, wow. Okay, that's cool. Um, but it wouldn't bother me. But it's only because he has got this flaw, I would say, of uh, having a big ego that it just... And, and honestly, that's probably why Bobcat does it, right? Because if I did, you know, if I cruised in there, Bobcat wouldn't fuck with me. I'm just like this chill dude-ish. And so, you know, uh, but, uh, but anyway, I just thought that was a beautiful story, uh, and I had to relay it on to you. Um, so, getting uh, over to the black version, uh, the, it's, I mean, I love SF Sketchfest so much, and um, I'm always excited when I go, and I want to come back to work, and, you know, hey, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, man, I saw this amazing show. Oh, really? What was it called? Uh, I don't know. I don't remember. It starred Wayne Brady. I mean, like, what? I can't sit in a room full of people and just be like, oh, the black version. And worse than that, the only other person I know of that knows anything at all at work about SF Sketchfest is the one black employee that we have. So I can't be like to her, like, yeah, I saw the black version. You might like it. I mean, what am I supposed to say? You wouldn't like it. No, you'd like it. No, I don't know. I mean, it's not because you're black. I mean, uh... Anyway. Oh, so here is song five of the of the album Skyscraper. This is Good Times. This is the song I was talking about that Steve Vai really contributes a lot. And the guitar is amazing. And I read an article about it and like half of it he played, but then they reversed it and put it on backwards, and it's just, it's crazy. Here, take a listen.
Oh, it's beautiful. Um, anyway, this is a really fun, sentimental, sappy song about just, you know, reminiscing about the past and, and how we had good times. Although, I don't know. I don't know if, if there were a lot of good times with Van Halen. I mean, there might have been in the beginning, but uh, by the end, uh, probably pretty shitty. Okay, so um, let's let's uh, just one uh, just a fun thing that I was thinking about is um, uh, Stephen Hawking. So Stephen Hawking had, you know, when he was alive, he had like a speaking spell, and it was in- incredibly monotone. And you know, he would just hit buttons, and then it would say stuff for him in that you know very static computer voice. And I'm just like, you know, I get Stephen Hawking is like super genius, dude, but I don't really think he was a ton of fun. I mean, I didn't, I didn't see that, you know, Eddie Redmayne biopic that featured him, you know, about his life. But if I had to speak through a speaking spell, you goddamn right, I would auto-tune the shit out of that. Right, like, and put a beat behind it or something. It's like, and I get it, you know, um, it's not very dignified. You know, I know I'm supposed to be talking about the theory of everything, but come on, dude. I mean, life's fucking hard and you're in this wheelchair and you can barely move and your teeth are growing out through your bottom lip or whatever's going on there. And uh, just, why wouldn't you do that, right? Like, why wouldn't you just embrace it and have fun? Um, you know, you just have like a, you know, esteemed a, a, a panel discussion and, um, you know, commenting on the existence of black holes, uh, Stephen Hawking. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, let me talk about black holes. Just have like bring on a hype man, right? Like you're Stephen Hawking, you got a bunch of money. Hire a guy to just be like, what, what, one time, oh uh, yeah, black holes, black holes. There's a. This reminds me of another bit that I did a uh, hundred years ago about Stephen Hawking ta- making jokes about black holes. So I won't bother doing that again. But I mean, come on, man. Like live a little. Like why wouldn't you do that? And you could. I mean, and it would be. It would be so easy to do you know and then people will be like um St- stephen hawking like you can't tell stephen hawking no like he's the only reason anybody's showing up to this dumb talk at all is is because they know his name and they want to see him you know i mean it's not like they're going to be like hey stephen you got to get out of here man this is not funny you know we're trying to be serious scientists and it's just like yeah well you can say serious stuff but you gotta get people to listen, so why not? Live a little, Stevo. This one is ours. We got heaven right here on earth. Ain't nothing like it when you're reaching for stars. So um, I have been parent of the year. Uh, I'm, I've been trying to get my kid into all the movies I liked. Um, she is six 
six and a half. She just said her half birthday. No, no, we did not celebrate. There was no cake. There was no party. We just, you know, oh, right. Because her half birthday is New Year's Day. So, um, so she's six and a half. And I have been showing her, you know, anything. She loves scary stuff. Anything that's scary, she loves. So uh, I'm just like, I don't want to spend a bunch of time watching garbage. Like, I made the mistake of showing her one of the twi the first Twilight movie, and she did not care for it. And But in hindsight, I was just like, oh, shit. If she had liked that, we would have had all had to watch all those dumb Twilight movies. Well, that, that could have been a disaster. Quote, unquote, disaster. Right. That Talk about talk about middle class privilege right there. Like, if that's first world problems, like, if that's your idea of what a disaster is, uh, you're living in 50 degree weather in a million dollar house, man, let me tell you. So, um, so what I've been doing instead is I've just been saying, fuck it. Like, I don't care what's streaming. I'll buy these movies. And then she can watch them as many times as she wants. So, oh, here, here's another fun song. And this is one thing I would say about David Lee Roth as opposed to Van Halen. David Lee Roth is a fun guy, right? Like, he's a goofball. And Eddie Van Halen, Alex Van Halen seem much more serious. Um, Eddie Van Halen actually seems insane, but not in a fun way. Just sort of like... Oh no, I didn't get tongue cancer because I smoked. Uh, it's because these metal guitar picks I put in my mouth. And it's just like, okay, dude, you're out of your gourd. But this song is just silly. Oh, so anyway, so one of the movies um, that I got her into was Big Trouble in Little China. And the reason why I picked that is A, I love that movie, but B, uh, she loves anything with ghosts in it or, or uh, anything, anything spooky, she loves. And so, Big Trouble in Little China kinda has ghosts in it, and I was just like, fuck it, I don't care. It's got some magic in it, it's got some kung fu, you know, so, all right. So she wound up really liking it. Um, she likes it even better because I bought the tank top that uh, uh, old uh, Kurt Russell wears, and I bought it because of the Doug Loves Movies appearance, but, you know, she recognizes that it's the same, so she wants to watch the movie if I'll wear the tank top. And so I'm like, all right, great. Uh, you know, it gets good use out of the tank top, and I get to watch one of my favorite movies. Sorry, I'm actually really digging this guitar solo. Um, I, I can't say I can hum along to it, but I do kind of remember it. So, all right, Steve, uh, you got me this time. But, oh, in Big Trouble in Little China, there is a very interesting thing in there. So, Big Trouble in Little China, I think, was like 86, I want to say. And he, uh, a big part of the motivation for that movie is Jack Burton is trying to get his truck back because his truck has been stolen. And so, you know, obviously he's trying to save all of these people who've been kidnapped, but he's also trying to get his truck. And so at the very, very end of the movie, spoilers, he finds his truck and he turns the ignition and he, and you know, the, the motor, you know, that giant 12 cylinder or however big a, 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 a big rig truck engine is rumbles and he goes, 
something like, you're damn right, 6.9 on the Richter scale. And I was just like, whoa, because 6.9 was the uh, earthquake intensity of the 1989 earthquake in San Francisco where Big Trouble in Little China takes place. And I was like, wow, that's amazingly coincidentally prescient, I guess is the word I want. I don't know. Okay, so, <laughs> so I take the train every day to work. Um, it's, and it's, it's not terrible. I mean, it's long. It's a long commute. It's an hour and a half each way. I don't love that aspect of it. But I, um, I try and get, there's, there's a, a, a top row and a bottom row on the train that I take. And it's nice because it's walking distance. It's 10 minutes. I walk to the train. 50 minutes commute, I get out, and then I walk another 20 minutes to the office. So it's kind of long, but you know, it's exercise and I'm not burning gas and everybody kind of gets it. So it's no big deal. Even though I hate this job, I hate this job so much. But anyway, point being, I'm on the train and everybody always wants to be in the top section because those seats up there are just single seats. You know, you don't have to sit next to anybody. And <laughs> I'm I'm up there, and the the way they're laid out, the uh, the first seat is actually two seats, but they are facing each other. So yeah, you can put two people in there, but it's real cozy. And um, this this we you know we get somewhere we stop uh this guy comes up he thinks there's an empty seat down the row on the upper up the upper deck i i just hate i hate saying upper deck because that's uh the slang for taking a shit in the top bowl uh, of a toilet and i i just don't know why people are monsters it, don't do that uh, but uh, I'm on the upper deck. I'm in the front seat, you know, and I've got that one facing me that's empty. And he's like, you know, he sees that the seat that he thought was empty, you know, down the row is not empty. And he looks at me and he goes, can I sit there? Pointing to the, you know, empty seat, you know, six inches away from me. And I'm like, uh, that's kind of intimate, don't you think? And I look down, you know, down the stairs, and I'm like, there's plenty of empty seats down there. And it's like, and he, he made a face at me. He's like, ugh. And then he walks away, and I'm just like, I'm sorry, dude. Are you really interested in rubbing knees with a stranger? I mean, wh why? Like, I, I, I don't know you. I don't, I'm not, I'm not excited to be touching you. So, I, and I really think, honestly, the accidental bumping on the armrest of an elbow is a billion times less awkward than me uh, with my knee uh, an inch and a half away from your dick. Oh, okay, so... <laughs> so, um... Continuing to think about um, the the uh, Doug Loves Movies appearance back in 9/11, uh, never forget. Um, 
at the end of the thing, I ran into Paul Shear backstage, and I, I think I've said this before. I, I was trying to pitch him uh, why he should have the, you know, why should they do the transporter two on how did this get made with his movie bad movie podcast, and he stops me. And he's like, yeah, you don't sell, you need to sell me on Jason Statham. You know, I'm, I'm in it. And it bummed me out so much that I, he wouldn't let me pitch him. Because I'd been rehearsing that pitch for at least two months, maybe probably longer. Because I always had this fantasy of running into Paul Shear somewhere and then pitching him this idea. Uh, and the fact that he didn't let me pitch it just bummed me out. Because I was just like, oh, come on. I've been rehearsing this. And, and, you know, this just goes back to what I do in my job. Like, when people call up and complain about something not working right, just let them complain. Just let them get it out of their system. Because chances are they've been thinking about this for a while. They've been thinking about what they're going to say to you. They, and they just want to get it off their chest. And just, just let them, you know? Even if you know the answer, even if you know how to solve their problem... Just let them get them out because it'll, they'll feel so much better once they do. So uh, back when we were when we went to Disneyland in July, um, there were there were a lot of people there who were too old to be working at Disneyland, and I say that because it's. Not a great paying gig. I mean, I, I look, I don't know what it pays, but it can't it can't be good. And it you know, that job is meant for, you know, you're in high school and you know, you've got, you know, you just need a job to like, you know, you live in Orange County and you need to do something. And Disney's probably got to be the world's, you know, or, um, the world's largest employer. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, and Orange County's largest employer, Anaheim's largest employer. So you wind up with a job at Disneyland, you know, cleaning up, uh, you know, hamburger wrappers or whatever. But I was heartened to believe that. Um, so we went and saw the Frozen show and... Um, they, you know, it's an elaborate production. They basically do the whole movie as a live-action stage production. Um, they leave out the part about the giant ice monster that Elsa creates. But um, it's interesting um, that, that, and you know, the kids are, are into it for the whole hour of the show. But... You know, when you think about the actors who are doing it, it's not like they can split and, like, go on an audition because they do three shows a day, you know, and you're in Anaheim. It's not like you're in Hollywood and you can just, you know, drive 15 minutes, you know, and be somewhere. I mean, you're, you're a good hour and a half from anywhere that you would have an audition. And so I was telling this whole story to my, my coworker, and he was like, you know what? You shouldn't feel too bad for him because I remember, this is my coworker talking, he says, I remember when we saw the Lion King show that was uh, there, you know, at the, at the big uh, Disneyland theater. And he said, I swear the next year 
that Lion King show went to Broadway, and it was a lot of the same people that were there in Bro- on Broadway that we saw, you know, in the Disneyland theater. So, okay, maybe I shouldn't feel so bad. Maybe that, maybe that is a jumping off ground to something. I mean, those people were all really good. They were great singers. Um, so, okay, good. Well, I feel better that, um, that, uh, uh, that, that those folks are not in some sort of dead-end job, that they are graduating to something bigger. Okay, so, uh, two things. Oh, okay, so movie recommendations. I, I should have done this up top, but, yeah, whatever. Hey, loosey-goosey around here. So, um, I loved, I've seen, uh, oh, so The Dark Knight, the second Christopher Nolan Batman movie, is uh, streaming on Netflix, probably not for much longer, especially because uh, DCU has their own streaming service, and as soon as that goes away from Netflix, I'm sure it's going to go over there. Uh, this is an amazing movie. It's it's hands down the best comic book movie ever, and largely because of Heath Ledger. I mean, you just just everything about it is amazing. Like the makeup that they did for him is it's different. It's not you know the classic Jack Nicholson, Cesar Romero, comic book Joker. It's it's flawed and like his face paint is. Mess, crackled and missing in parts and the, the lipstick is poorly drawn on but that adds to the insanity of the character and just like the little like darting out tongue thing that he does occasionally adds to the creepiness of that character <sighs> that movie that movie is so good and I I feel like there is so much hate towards um, DC that like people forget about it people forget how that how good that movie is now don't get me wrong christian bales is still terrible but you know he's actually not in it as much as the joker i mean the joker is most of that movie and you know and and christian bale as bruce wayne is actually pretty good i i buy it he's seen you know he carries it off uh, and then, of course, I had forgotten. Um, I love the Kevin Smith podcast, Smodcast, uh, that he does with his friend Scott Mosier. And Mosier um, he does a Michael Caine impression, but the way he gets into it is by saying the soys of a tangerine, which is a which is a. Did I say Michael Keaton? I'm sorry, I meant Michael Caine. Michael Caine, who plays Alfred in uh, those Batman movies. Uh, he says that, and and it's in the Dark Knight that he says it. He talks about um, something about being in the war, and then these kids uh, discover all these jewels. And I swear, there was a child who had a ruby, the size of a tangerine. And I was, and I saw that in the movie. And I was like, ah, that—that's where that's from. Cool. So uh, hopefully you can watch that. Hopefully it'll still be streaming on Netflix because that movie's amazing. Uh, another movie that is not streaming anywhere, it's still in theaters, but it's so, so good, is Aquaman. Speaking of DC Universe, I loved Aquaman. Um, I, I, one of my friends, I, I posted to our little friend group, um, I said, hey, Aquaman was great. And my friend, who I think gets 
a little too easily swayed by shit he reads on the internet. He was like, yeah, but it should have been goofier. And I didn't engage. I didn't respond because he's wrong. But, you know, and it's just like, why? Why should it have been goofier? Because everybody made fun of Aquaman. Like, every, you know, Aquaman was for the longest time like a punchline to a joke uh, that, you know, oh, you, once you get him out of the water, like he's completely useless. No, they re-envisioned him to be a badass, right? Like, Jason Momoa is a badass. And he's so good. We, I, uh, uh, Miriam and I watched him host Saturday Night Live from the comfort of our couch. And he was hilarious. That dude is so fucking good. The Rock better watch out because Jason Momoa is as charming as The Rock and can do comedy just as good and is a hugely buff dude. So you better watch out, The Rock. Uh, and it's the, the fight scenes in Aquaman are fantastic. Really, really good. So um, don't don't believe the hype. Don't believe Aquaman should be some douche uh, in an orange shirt who um, talks to fish, even though that is a major part of this movie. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Hey, look, I can't believe it. I had so much to talk about. We actually made it through the last song on the album. So this, uh, this song is called Two Fools, which is another very goofy song okay so one last thing before we go um when we went out to sf sketch fest uh we went to go see the black version and it it was a magical night um and i think i've you know, I think my expectations of what is magical is definitely different. Um, I think I am better at appreciating the things that I have and the experiences I have because really what made... Oh, wait, bass thing. Here we go. Yeah, let's see Michael Anthony do that. Uh, what made it a magical night really was everything was so easy, right? We had amazing seats. We were in second row. Um, we found parking like a block away from the theater. <clears throat> we had some time to kill. We got in there a little early. We found a wine bar down the street and they did a flight of wines for $17. It was like, fantastic, let's do that. It was just like, and then, and then I'm with Miriam, you know? You know, she's always fun. So, yeah, like the whole thing was just freaking magical. And uh, and yet, you know, nothing, and, and of course the show was great. Those people, my God, they were mind-blowing how good they were at coming up with improv, but they were also coming up with songs as well. So this, oh, I should say this, uh, the, the, the movie that they did was Cat on, not Cat on Hatsu, they did Some Like It Hot. And um, they, I can't remember what the new name of it, it was something like, yo, that's banging or something like that. It was, and it was pretty much the same idea, except um, these, they, they, rather than joining an all girl band, these men become strippers. 
so, um, so yeah, I mean, the show was magical. All the food, everything was just so easy. And I'm at a point in my life where, like, if things are easy, I'm just like, wow, this is amazing. You know, because that's honestly, I, I would say that is the thing that keeps me from doing things a lot of times, especially going to San Francisco. All right, here's another thing. So um, I, hope, I hope others are, are not annoyed by how many bass breaks I'm taking here, but I just, guys, so amazing. Um, but that's what keeps me from going to San Francisco because I'm just like, oh, God damn it, San Francisco, it's so hard. And then, uh, what do we do? Uh, find a place to eat. Uh, uh. So uh, maybe that's it. But uh, I like I, I, I like where I'm at right now with being able to appreciate how, how, how when things are easy and, and how they go, which is one of the reasons why I do this podcast, right? Like, I mean, I've got an audience of two and I love it. Um, I, I love just goofing around and talking on the microphone and it's all relatively easy. Uh, and I love it for that reason. Okay. So from me, from the music of Bright Brown and David Lee Roth, let's do this one more time. Till then! Yeah.